Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, our final Oscar predictions, Scream 6 hits theaters and Radio Silence returns to discuss. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 252 of Real Blend, a podcast that just had its Star Wars movie shelved by Lucasfilm. Sorry about that, guys. Hopefully, eventually, we'll come back around. On this week's show, our final Oscars predictions. Uh, Scream 6 hits theaters. And friends of the show, uh, the filmmaking trio Radio Silence is going to return to discuss the film in a spoiler-free conversation. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend. Uh, Joined, as always, by the guys, starting with Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Mr. McCarthy, how are you, sir? Sean, good to see you, Jacob, Gabriel. Um, are you referring to the Patty Jenkins news that just came out? Yes. So the joke is because there was a, a variety report, nothing confirmed by Lucasfilm. And so I assume we'll probably talk about this in, in a later episode if they come out with something. But the uh, Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron and the uh, Kevin Feige Star Wars project uh, seem to be shelved with a with a potential Taika Waititi uh, movies still moving forward. That makes so. me sad because I, w- I would like I would like to see I'd rather see Patty Jenkins's Star Wars movie than Taika Waititi's personally. That's just you, me. You know, Sean, um, my sources, my very secret oh. sources tell me that the, they had to shelve Kevin Feige's picture because he kept wanting to put the Hulk in it. And they were mm. like, oh, it's the wrong universe, sir. We can't allow <laughs> you to do that. Right. The star I, the, I mean, the, the, the Quantumania was actually a, was actually the Star Wars film that it was he made. The Star Wars film. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that movie was that such a Star off. Wars movie. Yeah. Wasn't that far off. Uh also joining us as well is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. I didn't realize it was a white shirt day, guys. Thank you. You didn't get the memo? Well, if you just take I, that well, I sweatshirt have one off underneath. Yeah, See? that's true. I do. This is underneath. an opportunity for you to do a sexy take off the the sweater slow-mo video. Let me tell We're you, trying to get the views up, baby. Anything that involves me taking anything off <laughs> eliminates the term sexy. Uh, housekeeping. Hello, Gabe. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm Hello, good. Afterthought. Hello, Afterthought. Uh, Gabe is going to be moving us along quickly because we have a lot show. of material. A, a ton of material to get to this week, including the Oscar predictions, which is going to take 
a lot of time. But we know that that's an important um, episode and segment each year for the real ones who love listening uh, or also potentially watching us on YouTube. Uh, so if you go to YouTube dot uh, YouTube.com backslash real blend podcast, you can get a visual element of the show. We are inching uh, closer and closer to 12,000 subscribers. Ooh, which I feel is, like the numbers have been escalating quickly lately. It's doing well. Yes. Thanks, so thank you to all of you guys who tune in, uh, whether it's Friday or any day of the week that you want to go back and, and rewatch Real Blend and, and check us out. We appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, for our audio listeners, if you want to join us, go to the description down below to also find out how you can get Real Blend Premium. The premium, premium episodes drop on Monday. Uh, a premium subscription gets you an ad free version of the show, and then you get a newsletter uh, from me. And I'm giving you guys a newsletter this week, and I newsletter. don't know what it's about. Um, I want to let everybody know as well, too, that earlier this week, we dropped a bonus episode. Bonus episodes are for everybody. You have to be a premium subscriber if you want to get it. Uh, but this is the um, the directors, co-directors of 65, uh, Beck and Woods. Really good guys who have a movie coming to the theaters with Adam Driver. A.K.A. The, the Boring Brothers. The boring, <laughs> yes. Fans of the show. And, Fans of the show. You'll, also, you'll, Boring Brothers named yeah. by themselves, not not us naming them board the Boring Brothers. Yeah, by us. If that, that joke us, will make sense when you hear it. Yeah. If they asked us, we'd have to let them take the real ones if that's what they decided, right? We'd be like, yeah. well, use yeah. it. It's yours. Oh, without a doubt. Beckenwoods is pretty good. Sounds like Brecken Meyer, though. A little bit too much I, like Brecken Meyer. I literally was just about to say that. It I, that was sure. That does exactly. Why we do a show together? But my mind did go to Breck and Meyer for some weird reason. It did. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Road trip, baby. It. Of course. <laughs> right, that's Breck and Meyer, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so please go check out the bonus episode with those guys and go see sixty five this week. I know that it's Scream weekend and everybody's going to be back in the theaters for that and getting ready for Shazam. But that movie it sounds like it's a great double screen. feature. You guys will be reviewing it later in the show, but that might be a good. Also, double feature. we will. Can we just give a quick yeah. shout out to Michael B. Jordan from for a hundred million dollar worldwide opening for Creed three? I mean, that is insane, like for for a theatrical for, you know, where we are right now in the theatrical experience, you know, with the pandemic and everything for a film like that to do a hundred million dollars worldwide in its opening weekend is I think that's just insane. So very congrats impressive. to that. Yeah, very, very impressive. All right. So let's get to Scream, which we also anticipate is going to be really big. Uh, another franchise. So, guys, so many sequels this this month. March is loaded with sequels. John Wick 4, Scream 6, uh, Creed 3, as we mentioned, Shazam, which is a, a sequel, uh, D&D, which isn't a sequel, but is a franchise or feels like the start of a franchise. Um, but these guys are responsible for the the new Scream film, the, the, the previous uh, two Scream films, essentially five and six, the reboot. And then they're taking the taking the show on the road to New York City. Um, and the last time we had the Radio Silence guys on the show, they were a ton of fun to talk to. Uh, really enjoyed catching up with them again. And uh, I don't want to delay that any longer. So without further ado, the the team that calls itself Radio Silence and not the Boring Brothers <laughs> uh, talking Scream 6 on the Red Blend podcast. <laughs> It's an honor to have the Radio Silence team back on uh, the show. Congratulations to you. Uh, and obviously, we're, you know, we're big fans of your work, big fans of what you've been bringing to this franchise. And, uh, you know, as, as kids who grew up on these movies to see kind of the legacy continued in such a beautiful way. I, you know, I know I, I feel like Wes Craven would be so proud of these films that you guys have done. Um, I have to say, first of all, before I get to my first question, thank you for putting a Denzel Curry track in your movie, because <laughs> that's you. one of my favorite. Yeah, yes. exactly. It's like we. That is a part of the process that we feel like doesn't get enough 
talked about enough. Like set we're, we're you know, kids of the 90s, 80s, 90s, like soundtrack movies were such a huge thing for us. A lot of time and energy goes yeah. into yeah. the music. But I mean, his I, album, that Denzel Curry song, Walk In, that was like the minute we heard it, we're like, oh, this would be good in the movie because of that creepy, like, vocal bit. Just great song. Ha- yeah. Have you seen the video that he's done, like, with, with the Tarantino homage? It's almost like a Django uh, Unchained homage, the video oh. for Walk In. Oh, it is. That album is one of the best hip hop albums. I'm a big hip hop head, and that was one of my favorite albums I heard last That's year. So I, I was like, hell yes, this is walking <laughs> in the theater. All right. So uh, I got to start off. The trailer for this film first came out. One of the first things that hit me mentally was thinking about the, the eighth Jason film, or Friday the 13th, and Jason Takes Manhattan. And weirdly enough, it's actually a film that I genuinely love it's an un, i think it's an underrated movie in the, in the friday the 13th franchise and so in your film we see like a clip of it on the tv which i which i absolutely loved and i wanted to ask just your opinion on that film and kind of what that movie meant to you growing up the eighth jason but also maybe what you learned from that movie seeing jason in new york and kind of maybe how that helped you design how Ghostface would operate in the city the first thing i think we probably all thought when we found out that this one was set in new york when guy and jamie wrote the script was of course Jason takes Manhattan. It was and, an all title. Like we were trying on all titles. Yeah, it's like okay, Jason takes Manhattan. Of course, like, like a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and it's like it, it was fun to play with that. I know a lot of people give that movie shit because a lot of it's on a boat, whatever. But like, it's still <laughs> doing the thing. It still is taking Jason to Manhattan. You know, and I we can't speak to where Guy and Jamie came up with the idea. I mean, we should yeah, talk to them and get that answer. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, I think it definitely influenced the movie because because that was the first slasher for us that did it. Yeah, yeah. and we definitely didn't want to do the boat thing in ours. So. Well, we wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to oh ghost face oh. on a boat for an hour and a half. I'm so glad that you brought that up because the joke amongst the three of us was can't wait to see Ghostface on a boat for <laughs> yeah. an hour. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think that that movie, you, you know, the other part of that question, like what did we learn from that movie? I think for us, we wanted to make sure that if we were going to set it in New York, that New York, that it was really consequential that it was in New York, that the that all of the set pieces felt really specific to New York and that they could only play out the way they play out because of the city that we're in. And also fans, obviously, of Jason Takes Manhattan, but there's very little of Jason in Manhattan. And I think for us, it was just like, let's do that. Let's steer fully into what it would look like to not just have Ghostface in an apartment in New York, which happens, but in, <laughs> he is in, the, in the bodega, in the streets, you know, in an alleyway, in, you know, in a subway, like really, really make the feel consequential. No, but I mean, in New York, right? It's not just like the greatest hits in New York. So it's not like all the, the landmarks and everything you see. It's it's the part of LA, or a part of New York that you actually live in. But, but I am glad you brought that up, Chad, because I wanted to mention that, like when you guys were having the conversations, how close did you get to all right, we got to put, you know, Ghostface. We got to at least try Ghostface in Times Square or, you know, Ghostface at the top of the Statue of Liberty. Were there ever any conversations like those? <laughs> it's weirdly never any like it, nothing was really designed for those for those locations, I think, in part because um, we just wanted it to feel really grounded. Mm-hmm. We wanted it to feel like these these, you know, the core four have moved to New York. To, to move on, to live their lives. They're not tourists in that city. They are trying to leave their old lives behind. And mm. for us, like Chad said, it felt like going to the more pedestrian everyday places in New York was was the most grounded and interesting choice for the story. Filming would have been horrible too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of those monuments cleared, like by the arc. It's it, like, there's just the clearances alone is, is right. crazy for those locations. I'm sure. 
Uh, guys, I'm going to start out with uh, a big question without getting into spoilers or anything, but I want to talk about what the rules are on the day on set whenever you guys are going to shoot the killer reveal. Is it a situation where it's as few crew members as possible? Is it a situation where you, everyone leaves their phones at the door? Like, what are the rules on set for the killer reveal days compared to every other normal day on set while you're filming? I mean, I think at that point, you know, we trust everybody in the crew. So it's mm. just another day of shooting. You're a more trusting person than I am. I think yeah. one of the biggest days and the most fun days are, are the killer reveals when we're doing the costumes and we're letting the actors know, oh, we have one more thing for you to try on. Yeah, we and do then, a real Columbo. On. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you bring, and we bring out the robe and the mask and they're like, way. Yeah, because, because, yeah. is that how you do it? Yeah, yeah. you can't audition. You can't audition people and telling them like who the who the killer is right because right. because then you're you're effectively just declaring to the town like you know this is what this is what happens in the next screen movie so you have to we even have we had we had multiple actors read a monologue read um amber's monologue from five just just so they we could sort of learn how many gears they had like what their range was performance wise and also kind of throw people off the scent of who who is or isn't the killer. Wow. Well, that's really, that's well, is this a spoiler? Are we? This is the we're non non-spoiler. Okay. Okay. non-spoiler. Yeah, I Let's we're say hoping... actors who have great killer reads who are not the killer. Right. <laughs> they hope someday we can share because there are some great, <laughs> great, ones. great ones. Well, it's our hope that they told us we'll maybe get you guys like later on this week, and then we can do a full-on separate episode deep dive. Right. And we're going to bring that up because now I'm curious as to who had the best killery that wasn't the killer. Yeah. I want to yeah. say, though, that I, the crew, the crew is really respectful. Like it's it's one of the things. And I, and I think part of it, part of that just develops over the course of prep. But the people that we've had the privilege of working on these movies with, they love and covet the franchise the way the way we do. I think it's one of the things that's been so surprising to us is just how far reaching the screen movies are. And um, and so people really understand and appreciate how how secretive you have to be. It's it's been we've yeah. been really fortunate to find and work with people that care as much as as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Love that. It, there, there's a thematic in this film. I won't, again, I won't go into spoilers, but uh, where movie props are a big kind of theme uh, in in the film. And I, I would imagine this is a question. Maybe you've been asked. If not, um, if uh, but there is there one movie prop for each of you that you, that would be a dream prop to have in your home. Um, not and it's not something any from thing from your films or your work. Uh, it just could be the this thing from this movie. Like I mean, I have a fake T two arm behind me, but I would love to have the real Terminator two arm uh, in my in my house. That'd be so insane. Um, so if each of you were to think of like your favorite movie prop and you could have it, you you, you could choose one and get it. What would it be? Oh, good well, question. that's a great question. I think mine would be the DeLorean. I want the I want the time machine. Yeah, I, the big I want, one. I love yeah. it. <laughs> oh, go on. I like it. oh, the house from Glass Onion is right. <laughs> <laughs> the DeLorean. He puts the DeLorean. I've been, I've been dreaming too small. Like I, I was like, oh, like like Indy's hat. You guys are going house and car. I got I got to dream bigger. Right. And then I would have a lightsaber in the trunk. So just to have a, <laughs> I think, I think would be a cool one. Indiana Jones whip would be a, oh, yeah, that's a great one from Raiders. Um, the soundboard from pump up the volume would be really fun just to kind of like a little. Oh, now you got me thinking about the piano from big. You have that. Oh, you're, you're, right. you're just, yeah. You walk into your apartment. It's just the keys and like it steps on oh, it. And actually, 
the actual one. Be, yeah, that'd be amazing. And then well, one guys, one, scales too. That's the other one I don't want. One eye Willie's pirate ship. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the ship. <laughs> the the right? One eye Willie ship is in. All of Oregon. <laughs> yeah, guys. Hey. Portland. I just want Portland. All of <laughs> if we're going down this path, I want the spinning hallway from Inception that they did the 2001 homage to. Just put that in my in my house <laughs> or the plane. You're the plane from Tenet. in that spinning hallway. um guys one of the other themes uh in addition that gets explored and and i'm I'm curious to get your insight into how you guys wanted to touch on it is ptsd uh and and how different people process what they had just been through and i I think it was really refreshing to see um certain characters this is fun to dance around um who very much wanted to move on you know and very much were like i'm not gonna make that my my past anymore and then others that that responded to the to the events of of scream as very much like that's become my personality now and i'm going to you know put put the walls up and be really uh cautious and secure um as you guys were getting into the development of characters and and this emphasis on the core four which i think is really fantastic and i told you guys earlier in the tv show that like they mean a lot to me now i'm super invested in their story and like what were some of your thought process about like how you're going to address ptsd and how it affects these characters in particular i think it was one of the benefits of you know, we were, the pace was so crazy with this movie and, and, um, but I think that one of the, one of the byproducts of that is that you're, you're revisiting those characters, uh, right on the heels of the events of the last movie. So it's, they're all at a place where it's, it's still really messy for them. They're still trying to figure out why they feel the way they do, how to move on. And everyone's kind of dealing with it differently. And that for us was, was just a really nice byproduct of, of the stories having such close proximity to one another and really um, set the table for, we think, just like the juiciest kind of most conflicted relationship relationships within, within that core four. Um, it's one of the things that I think we are feel really proud of and, and are proud of the cast for um, nuancing all of that in a way that feels so connected and personal and, and really is the backbone of the movie in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, I don't know if you, if you saw the <clears throat> internet after, was it the first trailer dropped uh, in which everyone collectively lost their shit when we saw Ghostface <laughs> with a shotgun, because if, because <laughs> after 25 years, we all kind of paused and, and went, can Ghostface have a shotgun? And then we all went, well, I guess, I guess he can. Yeah, was like, there a conversation where you guys had to pause and go like, can Ghostface use a shotgun? Like, can, can we do that? Yeah, we had that reaction when we were reading the script. And then it was immediately followed by, I mean, the thing we keep saying is we had the, can we do that? Oh, we have to do that. Like, it's that it's that kind of thing that sort of dictates a lot of the way we work. But yeah, we had the same exact reaction when we read it. It also yeah. just felt like for us, a moment, the moment in the movie where if you're on board, like, we got gotcha. you. And if you're not, then that's fine. But like that, it's, it's it just sort of declares like, the movie is gonna just get more crazy from here on out. So so buckle up. Like if that's your kind of like end of the first act attack, then <laughs> the all bets are off. And it also felt like that was the byproduct of being, we were talking about like being in New York. That was a byproduct of being in New York. Like he like in theory, there would be other people around the city of New York with weapons. And it's, so it's not necessarily like Ghostface is, is walking, that's his weapon of choice. He's just taking advantage of the circumstance he's in, and he's never been in this circumstance like New York before. Right, yeah, no, he's very resourceful. Either a garage door or a shotgun. Yeah, oh, Tatum. <laughs> Rest in peace, Tatum. 
You know, I, I, I want to give you guys props, by the way, before I ask my question, because the sound design in that shotgun scene was insane. Yeah. Like I, I was sitting in that theater oh, and just the sound of the of the shell casing after the bullet goes off. Like that was some of the most incredible the sound the design, just glass, yeah. the, glass the, is... the different things they were hitting in the store like that. Whoever edited your sound for that, just tell them they did a phenomenal job. I was incredible, immersive. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you this because I think one of the brilliant things about the Scream films and kind of what you guys have done is leading up to a kill and how you block a sequence, how you shoot the sequence, what doors open, what what we as an audience psychologically are thinking about they're behind that door or they're behind that person. I'm just curious how much conversation goes into the angles, the lenses, and the decisions of those shots leading up to someone being killed. Because to me... There's got to be an art form as to how you build that, because when someone's opening a set of doors, there's a couple options you have as an audience member. You go, oh, they're maybe they're going to be behind them after the door closes. They're going to be inside that doorway. Um, but there's something even with the train sequence, there's a claustrophobic aspect to the way you shoot that. And I just wanted to know, like, you know, how what decisions go into those lenses and camera choices and blocking to, to make us not know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I, it's endless. I think that's yeah. that's like the hard work that you have to do before you show up. It's, um, and it's essential. I mean, every every sequence in the movie, everything is shot listed and, and blocked before we before we set foot on, on the set. And then of course, we introduce the cast into that mix and they always have really great suggestions. So we, we allow for a certain amount of wiggle room just so that it can feel like people are approaching it in a way that's naturalistic and, and feels like they can sort of own what the physicality of those of those scenes are. But in terms of in terms of Lynn's choices, all of that, I mean, that's it's really I mean, we really plan all of that out. And I think you have to so that things don't feel repetitive. I think a big part of a big part of what we love about these movies is that, you know, the tension can feel the same, but the way that it resolves the way that you're, you know, like you said, you're staring at that door and then the scare ha comes from some, you just want to make sure that you're not, you're not hitting the same note every time. And you have to plan things out so that you're not, because it's really in the, in the absence of planning, it'd be really easy to sort of default just to the mm. truth that we're all familiar with. And I think for us, it's really designing those sequences is, is, is about making them surprising to us as, as creators. And hopefully then we know, you know, we'll surprise the audience as well. Can you give an example, though, of like of the decision process that goes into that? But like, I don't know. How, maybe we can go back to a kill from five, because I'm just curious, like how you design it, how you know, because as an audience, I'm thinking uh, steps ahead of the of the moment. Right. We're we're we're. we're but you somehow subvert everything, I think. And it's almost like a magic trick. It's, you know, you know you, I think a lot of it. It's kind of what Tyler was just saying about just doing it again and again and again. So we. You know, we've read the script 50,000 times. We've debated every single version of it 50,000 times so that we've, the, and we're aware that you're going to be ahead of it. You know, our, our <laughs> we believe very strongly that the audience is incredibly smart and that we have to use that to our advantage to hopefully make an enjoyable experience for you by knowing what you know, knowing that you're probably going to lean here and then going, okay, so they're going to be there and you don't, have, you're thinking about it in real time. We've had months to get it through, you know, make sure it works, go back, argue it out, and then try again. So it's it's an ongoing process. I mean, and yeah. I think the biggest challenge is to make it feel inevitable but surprising, right? Like yeah. there's the sort of the, the the intersection of those two things is like the West Kill in Five is a That's is right. a great example of being aware that 
that trope of the door a boy is, and his is, is such a like is such a thing. And so the only way for us to then make it fresh is to is to make sort of a joke out of that trope, not once or twice or three times, but four times mm-hmm. and have it not actually happen with Ghostface coming from behind the door, but standing in the room behind you like it's it's just you know, be, being being aware of and. And like Matt said, using what we think is the audience intelligence against against them. Mm. It's smart. You treat you treat it with respect. You respect the audience, which I love. Yeah, you, yes. you, know, you know us well enough. Audience, the smartest audience. Yes. <laughs> There's one that um I, I think I'm just going to call it the like a rear window homage almost, where someone is looking at from from yeah, one yeah, place yeah. into another place. That that was the one where I was like, oh, good job, guys. That's really <laughs> it was super effective. Um, so. You guys do have an unenviable task for the first time of telling a Scream movie without Sydney. Uh, and I just want to know from this perspective of what Sydney's role might have been in the narrative. Did you ever get to that? Did, was, did it get that far where Sydney was an important character? You guys had to sort of rework how Sydney was treated or, or did, was that did all this stuff happen early enough in the process that it didn't really affect the story you were trying to tell? What happened there? Yeah, they. I mean, at what point was that? It's, it's pretty early. It was early. early. It was early. Yeah, and you know, we of course talked about the ways that Sid could be involved, and it, it. You know, for us, it's it's it. Our job there was to just make the movie the best we could make this movie, and you know, we love Nev dearly, and we love Sydney, and hopefully, there's another Sydney movie down the road. Who knows? But like, yeah. And, and so when we were on set, it was just like, okay, this is what we're working with. How can we make? How can we hopefully make this audience? care about these characters as much as you know Wes and Kevin made us care about Sydney and Gail and Dewey and really that, that that's what we felt like our job was on this one uh, uh, this is going to be maybe a random question but one of my favorite horror films of all time is Wes Craven's new nightmare this idea of like what if Freddy Krueger went after the actors who made a nightmare on Elm Street right. would you guys ever do a new nightmare treatment on screen where like what if a killer went after Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, wow. it'd be fun. And if it happens, do I get an associate <laughs> producer credit on it? For yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Stab. It's, yeah. That's <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's fair. All right, I, I do want to touch on really quick. You guys, um, the film touches briefly on one of the most popular fan theories in, in all of Scream, which is, is Stu alive? Like the, the TV falls on his head. We never see the body taken place. We never seen it taken to the morgue or anything. And, and the film does a nice wink to that. As fans of this series, do you guys have an opinion one way or the other? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Damn it, I asked a yes or no question. <laughs> Journalism 101, I feel. Okay, let me rephrase. What is your opinion on the on the Stu fan theory? Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we like having fun with it. That's, you know, I think pretty self-evident in the two movies we've made where we've kind of, you know, poked that bear a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Does Matthew Lillard want to come back? Going debate of it, I think that's just like always fun to think creatively. Like, is he is he dead? Um, or not? <laughs> like, or you know, oh, you 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 back. Back. <laughs> look, we brought we brought Billy back as a hallucination, guys. Anything right. is fucking possible. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. So I've always I, I always love like the inside of kind of like movie making and kind of things and one of the things i've always found fascinating over the years is phone numbers in movies and uh there's a shot and i i could have been wrong i saw it quickly where uh where we're on an actual like house phone and i thought i saw 707 
139. And I was trying to figure out the rest of the number. Generally speaking in films, it's 555, 5555, whatever it is. Is that number have any significance? Because like generally in movies, you see a 555. And I just wondered, is there any significance to that? Am I just overthinking that? And did you, I'm just curious what that meant. Well, the 707 is the area code from that, that Northern California area. So we used it in the last two movies because we were just like, well, let's throw oh. in the real world. Like, let's, you know, place it up there. And uh, they're all significant, though, the, yeah. all the numerology. It's the but it's really the last four of all mm. of them. If you pay those all have some we put thought into every single phone number. One, three, nine. This is just a fun fact to share because we just learned it's it on new. screen five. Yeah, it's the new five, five, five. You can do it's like one, three. You can Five, do real area yeah. code, right? Real area code, but those those three, yeah, those three can be different. Oh, like, that's funny. I've yeah. never heard that. Yeah. So, what, can I ask what the four are in that scene and what it means? Just because I I, 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 I wrote I down seven oh seven one three nine. What it's, maybe, it's maybe the release. Yeah, it might be the release of of last. Uh, yeah, house on the left. Can't I don't. There, there are, <laughs> there's a Google yeah. doc of like any time a <laughs> sort of number that's going to pop up in the movie. We have a list of things like little Easter eggs that we, yeah, we like. that's amazing. That's, oh, I didn't know that one three nine was the new five five five. I'm like now I'm like geeking out, man. My whole life. I've, Great news I, for us though, because we can make it feel like those numbers are more part of the world, right? There's yeah. always yeah. a little bit of you suspend disbelief when you see a five five five, and right. yes, it's just nice to have it feel like it's more in the reality of of our world. That's what it okay. did for me. I was like, that's cool because I know you guys have fun with um, audio cues and and. Uh, playing around i gotta figure out how to ask this this <laughs> <laughs> is a hard junket to do it's really hard there's a there's a phone call date uh in the opening scene oh. and i'm curious yeah. if the person that the girl is speaking with is the same person that we meet later dude <laughs> no, good question. It, it is far it is the the answer to that is far more hilarious than you could ever imagine and we cannot tell you oh no, come on can we do it in the spoiler zoom in a couple days sure i guess i'll remember to ask that question wait now now now, now, now i kind of want to hear it and we'll just we'll just hold it no 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 we'll figure right. we'll get to it later we get to it later we got to keep these these guys trust at this point Damn. all right let me pivot let me pivot um the is this is this honestly the first time that that Gail got a phone call scene in in the franchise? Yeah, it is. That's shocking um, to me. Oh, yeah, Jake and I were Jake and I were arguing over it because <laughs> like he because I was like, no, there's no way, and then, and then I kind of paused and I was like trying to remember one and I couldn't, but I just I could not believe that that no, she's never gotten a phone call. So cool. So, so the importance of of the importance of filming on that day. Can you just talk about like? Courtney's a legacy character and, and giving her something that's so significant to the franchise. I, I mean, I think that there was, I mean, there was this energy around it, right? Because it's, we knew that we were doing something that I think we as fans have always, same sort of thing, like, wait, that hasn't happened. And it, so it, I think the significant, the significance of it, it was amplified because we just knew how, how important it was. And then we actually had Roger call in uh, and do a good portion of that call with, with Courtney, which is, you know, it, that's not, of course, new to the franchise that Roger has been a part of all of all of the movies, um, the live, you know, live read, live performance. And it was just really special. It felt like we closed a loop that had been left open for a really long time. And um, and Roger's also just 
he doesn't break character. Like it is when he, when he calls in, you are, if you grab the phone, you like, you have to prepare yourself <laughs> for a weird, weird experience. Oh, by the way, we were waiting for our press screening to start and they had the, the QR code of have Ghostface uh, call you kind of thing. And um, I have a teenager who's a smart ass and he uh, did it for his grandma. <laughs> he did it for. So I'm waiting to hear back from her. I haven't heard whether she got the call or not. But oh, no, know that in the absence of the of them answering, Ghostface will leave a voicemail. Yeah, yes. good. good. I got one the other day. <laughs> I, I was just so happy that he was immediately like, "I'm gonna call. I'm gonna have Ghostface call grandma." <laughs> uh, guys, there's in in the trailer we see it as well. Um, the the room full of memorabilia. That that are is from over the past five films, and you know any any uh, fan of the series can just sit there and scan the entire frame and pick out costumes and props and moments. Were any of those actual like props from the original films, or were they recreations for you guys? They were all recreations, uh, unless there were any from there's five, maybe five, yeah. But I'm pretty sure they were all recreations, um, and just done incredibly well, painstakingly well, like you could put them side by side with the real thing and probably would never know. But how did you do in the sense that like where, you know, the, the person that, um, that manufactured or designed, you know, the, the costume that Rose McGowan wears as Tatum, you know, and the, that, yeah. that's the one that kind of stood out to me. Like, Oh my God, even that's here. Actually from the, from the designer. So that's a, it is a, it is, it's a replica, but it is an exact duplicate of wow. Wow. By yeah, the same person. Yeah, so yeah. there was a real, there was a real, um, just painstaking level of detail because it, it, it has to, it has to feel, it has to feel that genuine, and the, the amount of aging and it was, it really, everyone worked so hard for that to appear the way that it. Appears. I mean, it took them almost a week just to do, and or more to do the Stu Mocker robe because they they ended up stitching in that design into the fabric to to make that sure that the recreation was just as authentic to the original. That, that, possible so cool uh, I, was I don't incredible work on the entire I, don't, I don't know why but like the one that gave me the most chills was uh drew barrymore's boyfriend's letterman jacket and the duct tape that went around his mouth i don't know why but something about that one just made me go like oh because you just, you just picture you you just picture him like duct tape to that chair like right outside of her window and it just that that one disturbed me the most i don't know why because it's disturbing dude yes that's yeah. true oh, yeah. that's why. <laughs> i will never forget that death was brutal all right so we uh, we're gonna get you out of here on this one guys um it, when we get into the apartments in new york we see some like classic film posters on their walls and dracula and uh, i think there was a vertigo one i mean it was, there was a lot of great posters um at that age, for each of you, what posters would have been on your apartment walls? Or, or uh, I'm just curious, like the, what movies or music or like, you know, if I were to walk into one of your apartments at that age in your life, what did you guys have? Scream. No joke. Yeah, it would have been Scream. <laughs> I, my walls were covered with punk rock flyers, like just local stuff. I take off things. And then uh, I had in high school and college, I had an It's a Wonderful Life poster. Hell yeah. There you go. Me. I, never learned. I loved it. Love that movie. <laughs> That's a great movie. Yeah, what about for you? Was, mine would have been probably Boogie Nights and Fargo. Those were the posters that I that sort of moved from dorm room to dorm room, apartment to apartment with me. Yeah. The Fargo ones. I remember we used to get them laminated. I used to have to get mine laminated when I was like, like see there we go. Yeah. See, I'm telling you, posters are the greatest things ever. Done it. Signed by everybody. Oh, that's, that's right. right. So cool. Yeah. Do you have your own films posters in your places? 
I, yeah, we have them. I don't, I don't have them. Yeah, yeah, I'm not allowed to put them up right now because I just had a, a new baby. So I, my wife does it like, she goes, why does everything have a skull on it? I'm like, <laughs> I have, they're not kids friendly. <laughs> that I have hanging up is they did a, there was a drive-in, a triple feature that Southbound, this oh. thing that we made was a part of, it was dual road games, road games and Southbound. Yeah. yeah. And this artist did this really cool kind of grindhouse style poster. That's the only one that I have. Dope. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a great one. Yeah, it's a cool poster. Hell yeah. Oh, be, before they kick us out real fast too, I, I mean, uh, the Samara's uh, costume from Ready or Not being worked into the background of the subway. Uh, is that something that you that you guys immediately knew you had to put her in someplace? Yeah, a Avery costume designer on both. So it was really fun for her to make a replica of her own design. <laughs> <laughs> and also just the mind fuckiness of, wait, there's a Ready or Not costume in the movie and Samara's in this movie and not playing Grace from Ready or Not. Is this some weird shared universe? Like, it's just the fun of Scream. Like, it's it's a send-up and a celebration of, of you know, the genre as a whole. And it's just yeah. fun. Like, it's, like, it's, like, it's almost like uh, uh, Drew Barrymore saying that her favorite horror film is an Armour on Elm Street. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's really funny. Guys, um, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Obviously, we love having you guys on. And again, huge fans of the movies that you guys are making. Hopefully, hopefully we get time uh, later on this week and we Please. can really dive in. We have to ask that question. Yeah, we have a bunch of things we want to dive into. So <laughs> enjoy the rest of the day, guys. We'll talk Thanks, to you soon. Thank you, you guys. Thank you guys. Time. Appreciate you. That was awesome. Thanks, guys. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you so much to our friends at Paramount Pictures and also to the guys at Radio Silence uh, for continuing to join the show and geek out about all things Scream with us. I guess I I will say that we are efforting like we did last time. We got to get them back for a spoiler conversation. We're still trying to make that happen for them. And so um, pay attention to our social media channels and we'll announce whether they'll be able to come back and dig deeper into Scream 6. As you guys heard in the interview, there's an answer that they really wanted to give us uh, with regards to somebody's audio on a telephone and couldn't tell that story just yet, but I promise that I will ask that first if and when we get them for the spoiler conversation. And also so, shout out uh, to Denzel Curry for having that awesome song in the film. Um, I would love for people to see if they can take a look at it. They really loved that you brought that up, actually. I love that. <laughs> that I love that song. Great. They got very excited for that. All right. So it's March, which, uh, of course, makes a lot of sense that we should still be talking about the best films of 2022. Uh, Sunday is the 2023 Oscars and leading into the ceremony on Sunday, uh, we are going to be making our predictions for every category uh, real fast before we get into this, because I know we're moving along. Jake, give me your excitement level for the Oscar telecast on a one to ten. I got to be honest with you. Um, if you'd asked me this question a couple of weeks ago, I would have given you a pretty low number. But in mm-hmm. sitting down today. And taking a look at some of the the biggest categories, particularly a lot of the acting categories, and realizing how many of them come to up to uh, to to a toy a coin toss maybe, or maybe come up to maybe th- you know three potential nominees. It's a right. lot more. I mean, look, I, I I think the top two prizes, I think picture and director, are done. But there are a lot of big categories and small categories that are not settled, that are down between two to three potential winners. And and isn't that what you want? Like, we don't want to go into the Oscar race feeling like the entire thing's done. So I am a little bit more excited that, that things seem to I have only, been shaken I up. Asked you, I asked you for a number. I should ask for a number. <laughs> I haven't spoken on this show in like six weeks, man. <laughs> What's your number, for God's sakes? Numbers go fuck yourself. How about that? <laughs> I don't know. I said a solid, like a solid, solid seven, solid seven. Kev, where are you at? One through 10. Uh, I'm a, for the telecast, for the telecast, for the actual show. Um, seven yes. and a half. Ooh. Ooh, you guys are higher than I am. I, I don't I probably am at like a well, five. I said this before the Oscars are ha- happening too late. Um, it's, it's too late. And these movies, we cover them over and over and over and over again. But to have too the Oscars night, no, I'm talking, well, that, not even that, but just too late in, in, in the time period. We're already into 2023. Is it because films. of the Oscars? The Academy feels like they, they have to go last. But but, well, they, but they've they always they gone last. last. Yeah, but why, like why, why is it? Yeah. What, when was the Golden Globes? The first week in January. Right. Why could, and now why we're into the, the second week of March. All I want to well, do is watch well, no, the finale I mean, of Last of Us. That's all I want. But like even even some of the guilds went. As early as like, uh, I, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like the, Independence the, the Spirit, Spirit Awards, Awards yeah, were this past this WGA, past week. Like, yeah, they, they feel like they have to go last, and it's like, all right. Well, let's do you. Let's rip through these categories, um, and we'll dwell a little bit deeper into the um, 
the top half of them, but we definitely want to give our all due respect to every single category uh, here on the show. And so we're going to start with visual effects. I will read the nominees and then you guys will give me your picks. Uh, the nominees for visual effects at the Academy Awards this year. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, uh, and Top Gun Maverick. Kevin, I'll start with you. Where are you going for visual effects? Yeah, and I think one of the most... Uh, one of the most incredible, uh, I guess, mis- miscommunications, I guess, about what visual effects people just assume that it's just CGI. I mean, visual effects means practical as well. I mean, any visual effect that's done in the filmmaking, I think people think CGI when they hear that word, but it, it, it can be the practical visual effects, like a Stan Winston effect from like the old, you know, practical effects, anim- animatronics. Um, I feel like, though, I in this case, the CGI aspect of it, I will win out. I think how do you not choose Avatar? But then I think All Quiet in the Western Front has been really pushing their uh, videos out recently about why their visual effects and when their filmmaking was was kind of incredible. Um, but I'm going to go with Avatar The Way of Water. It just feels like the safer choice. OK, uh, I'm joining you with Avatar The Way of Water because I also believe that visual effects are going to go in that direction. When you mentioned practicality, I almost thought Top Gun Maverick True. Uh, could potentially have a shot. Yeah, but I do think, like you said, and I, we've said it at different points over the course of talking about Avatar, if the people who are voting will think like, oh, you just did what you kind of did the first time sure. through. But I still think what he did in Way of Water was spectacular. And right. it, and then the box office success of it as well, too, I think will will lead a, a bunch of people to vote for and, it, at least in this category. So, And you also moved along performance capture. Like they, they changed performance capture to underwater and being able to do it there. So they did make groundbreaking uh, achievements in filmmaking through that film. So I, I would imagine that that would be a case to win, but we'll see. Jakey. I, I think this is going to be one of the easiest categories to, to lock in. I think it's avatar. I think it's done. Okay, there we go. Let's move on to costume design. The nominees for costumes are Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda forever, Elvis, everything, everywhere, all at once. And Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Jake, let's start with you this time. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Elvis, uh, a movie that I think is going to be winning more Oscars on Sunday than than some people might expect. Interesting. Uh, I also went Elvis um, because I do feel that especially the, like I, I, Ruth Carter has a great reputation and she's doing Black Panther Wakanda forever, obviously. Um, but I don't think she gets the edge in this category. I think Elvis gets it. Kev, where are you? Where are you at? I'm in between both. And I, you know, Ruth Carter won for the first Black Panther. Right. So, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because there's so many costume changes in Elvis. Like it like there's so many periods of time they're dealing with and and different decades of his life. And I got to go with Elvis as well. I mean, like I was leaning towards Ruth Carter because she did win already. And obviously the costumes are incredible. And I think she's actually from the area here in the D.C. area or, you know, has ties to the D.C. area. Um, but I'm going to go with Elvis. This is another category where Babylon feels like it should have gotten a lot more attention, unfortunately. The I Oscars think in that. general, it's a category where Babylon should have gotten more attention. But Lord in heaven, that's so disappointing. I will never forget this. All right. Makeup and hair. Let me get your nominees for makeup and hair. We have. All quiet on the Western Front. The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, uh, Elvis, and The Whale. First nomination for The Whale. 
Uh, I'll go first here. I'm picking Elvis, and I'm going to reference Kevin's interview with Baz Luhrmann. Mm. Baz mentioned that he had a hair team, <laughs> and I think that that hair team is going to earn him uh, an Oscar. So Jake's right. So far, I have two wins for Elvis on the board. Uh, Mr. Hamilton, King of Hair. Uh, I'm also going, going with, with uh, I'm also going with Elvis, um, a a movie that I think, you know, they you, you got to think about it in terms of like the the, the package and, and, and all the nominations that a, that a movie has gotten. And, you know, whenever you're oftentimes when you're split between two movies, always choose the one that got also got the best picture nomination mm-hmm. and the whale did not. Um, ah, this is interesting. Right, this okay. is interesting because I feel like the whale I would gear more towards because of the prosthetics but then this is also not just makeup this is hairstyling um and Mm -hmm. sean brings up an interesting point about when i spoke to baz lerman in memphis we talked about the hair and the hair and continuity for elvis because the way it's sweating or the way it's moving you know if they're cutting back and forth between different shots the hair has to still be in the same place um and it sounds like he's been adamant about that for his whole career and elvis might be the one that he that he might actually finally get that credit for i know that you know he's his name isn't listed for makeup and hairstyling but you know for him to be a filmmaker who is adamant about that i'm gonna go ahead and go elvis as well all right and so far three for three eventually we're gonna have to disagree well yeah without be hilarious if we don't though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I've got, uh, I've got some spicy picks later. Oh, so do I. Oh, well, oh I'm getting just, spicy. Just, just wait. I'm getting real spicy later on. <laughs> yeah, I love spicy. Kevin. Here, here's a category that has potential to add a little spice to the conversation. This is okay. uh, original song. Original song. Okay. Uh, we have applause mm-hmm. from Tell It Like a Woman, music and lyric by Diane Warren. Mm-hmm. We have Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. Music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. Not sure who Blood Pop is, but congratulations on your nomination. Uh, Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, uh, performed by Rihanna. Is that correct? That's Rihanna. Rihanna. Uh, yeah. Are all of these people going to perform at the Oscars? Are we getting Rihanna four, and Lady four Gaga? Four out of five are confirmed Gaga's Lady Gaga's knob. And they're saying it could be because she's so busy shooting uh, Joker. Joker 2 right now that she hasn't oh. been able to make it to rehearsal. Which is a bummer because that's actually my favorite song of the nominees. Okay, uh, Natu Natu from the film RRR, which I believe is the only nomination for that film. Also a bit of a crime. Uh, and this is a life from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski. So, Kev, best original song. RRR. I Not that's my choice to? for that one. Yeah, because I, I first of all, that song is incredible. I, as much as I love Hold My Hand and Lift Me Up, I just first of all, RR should have been nominated for picture, director, uh, cinematography. <laughs> I mean, it's it's insane how that didn't get it other nominations. Song. But it'll it'll win this. Not too. Not Couldn't too. even get international uh, picture because it's That's country because... didn't nominate it. Yeah, <laughs> which is insane, crazy. <laughs> uh, Jake, where are you going for best original song? Yeah, I think Not Too Not Too is is one of the the biggest locks of the night. All right, I also have Not Too Not Too by RRR. So. Sean Sean scratches out, hold my hand. He's like, oh yeah, me too. I also have like Not that. Too Not Too. Gabe. I can't Back confirm. I have, I have Sean's list in front of me. I can't confirm. What? Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes. In the show notes, I already put my, my choices. What, if I, what so. if I talk you out of one? Then I can change it in the, in the thing, but I'm nope, going with notes. what I... 
<laughs> Going with what I have inside there so far. All right, let's move on to production design. We have as our nominees All Quiet on the Western Front, which leads with a number of different nominees. Avatar, The Way of Water. Again, this is production design. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water. Babylon, Elvis, and The Fablemans. First time we're mentioning Steven Spielberg's personal film. Um, I will go first. I'm going to tell you with production design. Uh, I'm going Babylon. I feel Mm. like there's so much going on in an old Hollywood way that it's going to be difficult for the Academy. Those who watched it, please, God, I hope you went and watched it um, to to overlook the attention to detail that went into creating old Hollywood. I think the scenes um, not just in the mansion for the initial party, but the scenes that take place on the film sets that Damien takes us to. uh, And then if if they got this far. Uh, the quote unquote asshole of Los Angeles alone should earn that movie its Oscar win. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb with Babylon. So, uh, Jake, where are you at? Uh, I'm also going with Babylon, a movie that maybe it didn't get the Oscar love we wanted it to. But I do think it's going to go home with more than one Oscar by the end of the night. Um, and uh, on the flip side of that, I, you know, for, for a movie that got a, as underloved as it did, I think it could walk away happier than the Fablemans might walk away when the night is done. Kev, I'm going to go with all quiet on the Western front. All right. Ooh, our first disagreement. Our first first disagreement. Not so quiet. (laughs) All right. Let's start with score. I missed it when we did song circle back around all quiet on the Western front. Babylon, the Banshees of Inishirin, everything everywhere all at once. Jake's boy, John Williams receiving nomination. Number what is this? Fifty three. For the Fablemans. 53 for the Fablemans. Kev, your score guy. Where are you going? Justin Hurwitz for Babylon. Um, it's the best of those five, in my personal opinion. I do want to shout out Carter Burwell, though, because he's you know, one of my favorite composers. Obviously, works with the Coen brothers a lot. Um, his Banshee score was brilliant. Um, but I think Justin Hurwitz's score. Hurwitz should have won. I don't even think he was nominated for First Man. But that landing on the moon. he won for First Man. Someone double check on that. I could double check on that. Let me check. I also I, want to shout out Carter Burwell, I, who is just phenomenal. I, I love he, Carter Burwell so much. Am I wrong? I thought he wasn't nominated. I could be wrong. For, no, he was for Oscars. He did not get a nomination for First Man. He won for La La Land, for City of Stars, and the score. And then he was nominated for Score for Babylon because not, him not getting nominated for First Man was like in my opinion, one of the worst decisions they had made because that landing sequence is brilliant. So I think this Babylon win will be the redemption, even though it deserves it regardless. But it's it's that main theme in Babylon. I've seen Babylon five times. It's just so good. It is a perfect score and it's unbelievable. And there's like a video out right now where they edited together the nominees for this year with his music on it. Um, And it's incredible. So the the actual promo for the Academy Awards uses the Babylon score. score. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin uses this um, observation often, but in this case, I honestly have to, agree that i think the score in babylon is, a, is an additional character I it think is whenever you hear it come up it's it's like unbelievable so it's i also went babylon yeah original score jake is this a place where you deviate with the rest of us no i'm also going with babylon i've heard some rumblings of uh you know not that a man with five oscars needs a career oscar but i have heard some rumblings of a last minute push for john williams i don't think it's going to be a strong enough push 
Um, I think it goes. To, I think it goes to Justin. I really wish that I loved his Fableman score, but there's I just, not that much. I mean, the problem is that there's just not that much music in the Fableman. Right. It's right. not that. I mean, I think he only wrote. I don't want to say only because I couldn't do a single minute. I think he only wrote like 30 minutes of music for the Fablemans. Right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised they didn't really stand out. So uh, let's shift over to sound. We're still working our way through the uh, production, the below the lines type categories. Uh, I don't like that terminology uh, below the line. Just set it below the line. Yeah, it just makes it. It's just, an, just, it's just an industry term, though. It's I know, not, I know, I know. I'm not judging Sean for saying it's not it. meant I just to be offensive. I don't, I don't like that line in general, but because the, all the below the line people are the reason why the movie looks and sounds and is the, the way it is. You know, but, let's let's call them the shitty categories. How about that? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, only joking. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. The all category right, is too hot for TV. <laughs> uh, all quiet on the Western Front. This is for sound. Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman getting its first nomination. Elvis, no, we, Batman, and, we've already nominated. We've already read we three mentioned times. Batman. Yeah. Oh, do we really? Never mind. I take that back. Uh, the Batman, Elvis and Top Gun Maverick. Let me go first for sound. For the first time on my ballot, I'm going with All Quiet on the Western Front, which I think is going to start to pick up a couple of these nominee, uh, a couple of these wins in a few of these categories. Uh, Jake, where are you going? I'm going Top Gun for what I think will be its one and only Oscar. Ooh, interesting. Kev? I'm also going all quiet on the Western Front. All right. This could be one of the categories that makes or breaks it. Editing. Now, editing, as we talk about all the time, usually has direct correlation to picture to the film that is going to win Best Picture. Let's see how we feel about this. We have the Banshees of Inishirin. Elvis, everything, everywhere, all at once. Tar and Top Gun Maverick. Kev, where you got everything, everything, everywhere, all at once. I think that's a lock. I also said everything, everywhere, all at once, and I also feel that it is a lock. This is one of the categories where if that movie loses, I'm going to actually be mad. I'll be mad. Well, the editing in that film is brilliant. And like one of the things, if you go back and listen to our interview with the Daniels. Um, we had them on a couple months ago. It's really great because they dive into a lot of the technical aspects of the filmmaking, but the aspect ratio changes that are in that film and the editing back and forth and the different like ways they were playing with the multiverse and like going into widescreen versus the one eight five and the two three nine. It, it, it's just unbelievable how it's all put together and 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 you know when you shoot in a different aspect of ratio. Yeah, the, it's the number of different Michelle Yeohs and the continuity of putting all of them together in their worlds yeah. is unbelievable. So, uh, Jake, you on the uh, everything everywhere? Yeah, yeah, everything everywhere all at once. I mean, it just picked up uh, was the uh, the, the editing award? award over the weekend. So yeah. you can't you can't argue with that. All right. Let's transition over to international feature film where we have All Quiet on the Western Front. Argentina, 1985. Close. EO. And the quiet girl from Ireland. Um, I went all quiet here because I kind of feel like it has Academy love. It received nominations in a number of different categories. I don't see it taking best picture. And so I feel like this is the the film that they will uh, give the award to in this category as if to say like, hey, you also got the best picture nomination, but this is the award that you're going to win. And I know that studio politics shouldn't dictate how something wins or loses, but that's the reality. And that's where I think this is going to fall. So Jake, where are you at? 
I think you nailed it 100. Uh, I think this is sort of the consolation prize. This is this is their best picture. So I'm going all quiet. Kev. Yeah, and Argentina won the Globe, right? So I, I think I think I'm right on that, and I could be wrong. I think it did. Um, You're right. Yes, but I think it did. All, all quiet is the pick I'm picking here for for the Oscars. Yeah. All right. Sweep across the board. All right. Here's where we can get into some fun. This may start to win or lose a ballot. Documentary feature film. <laughs> there doesn't feel to be one that stands out. Um, one front runner necessarily, although you could make an argument for, for one of them, I guess. Uh, so let's see where, where the boys go. Documentary feature film is All That Breathes. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Fire of Love. A House Made of Splinters. And Navalny. Kev, where are you going for documentary? I mean, this is just a toss up. I, admittedly, I haven't seen any of these. Have you guys seen any of these? No, I've seen two of them. You have seen two of them. Which one? I did. I saw Fire of Love and I saw Navalny. OK. Um, do you guys have any insight as to how these have been doing in award season? I have not looked this up. I've, I've looked around. See, I don't look. Fire I, I, of I Love to- is. Fire of Love has won a bunch of awards. It's pretty popular and it's a great documentary. It's about a it's about a couple who back in the 70s, um, they were volcanologists. They would go to the site of live volcanoes and try to capture as much as possible. And then they die on one of the sites. And it's about someone putting together all their footage after their deaths. Well, then after that description, I'm picking Fire of Love. That sounds great. All right. Fire of Love. Just because it sounds like a great, a great story. (laughs) Jake, where are you going? I'm going uh, Navalny. It seems to be the uh, when reading up on the documentary features, it seems to be the one that I'm I'm seeing pop up the most. I too am going Navalny. Moving. So it you to, guys are uh, picking it because it's because you, you, it's been ballot. it's been picked in other predictions. Yes, primarily I'm relying on. Okay, I liked it as much as Fire of Love. I could see either of the two of them winning, but I've seen enough people say Navalny leading up to. Uh, See, I, I haven't seen those stories, so Sean's I'm coming just, for the win this year. I'm I'm going blindly here. But also, I mean, but uh, you know, keep in mind too, like I, like I follow the Oscar stuff deeply. Like I follow yeah. the stati- I love I love statistics and I love anomalies, particularly when it comes to to the Oscars. Um, so I, you know, it's it's not a matter of oh, I went and looked up stuff like before choosing. I did, I follow this shit from you know Toronto all the way through through. Oh, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I love this stuff. I'm just saying, like, that's the one that people are mostly predicting is what I was asking. I think Jake, so. Jake, right. what's the uh, what's the Academy equivalent to the NFL Combine? Oh, that, see, that's interesting, because I actually was wondering if, if I was doing if I was pulling like a Bill James Moneyball. Uh, <laughs> OK, OK. All yeah. Right. Wouldn't it be Sundance? Would Sundance be the Combine? Sundance feels a little early. Or- or can I'm gonna be honest? I'm getting can. to a point where Toronto is starting to feel early. Like I, 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 I'm starting to feel like if you if you come out of Toronto, the front runner, like you're done. Tiff was yeah. Tiff was my. Was <laughs> where I was Do you remember, remember Fablemans? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was the one to beat. So I guess it would if, if if it ends up being everything everywhere all at once, it would be uh, South by huh? Is the interesting? Right? Is that where well, that started? There is no. Yeah. I guess there is no combine. Basically. Basically, I will right? say, but between Top Gun and everything everywhere all at once, it, it is nice to be reminded that like successful films at the it's Oscars really don't have year. to come out in the last three months of the year. Yeah. I think I think that's Correct. why so many films that were poised to be uh, big Oscar movies, so, you know, something like like a she said, 
just kind of got lost in the shuffle because they, so sure. many studios tried to shove them all and then what ended women up winning talking. the movie that women talking and the, the movie that's going to win it all is the movie that came out in march right and and elvis was what yeah it's this summer yeah yeah and i mean it's, it's a huge contender yeah so all right let's get to some one of the spicier categories Spicy. this is where the real blend guys get to have some fun this is cinematography we are going all quiet on the western front by james friend bardot false chronicle of a handful of truths by darius kanji elvis by mandy walker empire of light by this up-and-comer named roger deakins never heard of him and tar by florian hoffmeister kev cinematography is your bag take it away well uh if i'm not mistaken did mandy walker just win the a- asc the cinematography award do. Am, do i have that right she, okay yes you do um it's funny like prior to seeing that information over the weekend or whenever that happened uh, i would have chosen all quiet on the western front deacons should not be in this category not for that Agreed. film Agreed. Um, Agreed. i think Hoytema, should be in this category well i think hoidema should win this category i can't, I can't believe he's not even nominated the, the people still don't know that the the night scenes in nope were shot during the day it's like one of the most incredible cinematography advances i've ever seen i could have um, told you that first time i saw it well i mean you're, you're not, you're, well, that's that sounds a little like big-headed though i mean i don't think a lot of people would be able to pick up on that to be honest no, i'm just kidding that's my i didn't main, that's my main <laughs> criticism is it looks like it was shot during the day but oh see anyway. i disagree um i'm gonna go with mandy walker for elvis just because she just won just that right award. in nope just write it in because you feel cause i know you're so into it right <laughs> nope. i mean i mean at, at the end of the day the fact that that's not nominated is absolutely insane i'm not saying it needs to win imagine that's that, this year's controversy and like kevin has a heart attack they're like wait what is this they open up the envelope nope that's not nominated is insane to me they, they hold um, the the, uh, the envelope up, up at the camera like they did when moonlight won <laughs> exactly it, it just yeah. says nope question mark and um, moonlight so, is actually crossed out yeah so just to clarify i have not read up on where this category seems to be leaning um i'm just primarily basing it off of what just happened with the awards this weekend. Um, and I, for our, if I'm not mistaken, I believe cinematographers vote on that award and they mm-hmm. also vote on this award. Um, mm-hmm. So that's my reasoning for Mandy Walker, even though I don't think out of these five, I'd probably give it to quiet or tar. Um, but is, Elvis is, is all quiet. Would all yeah. quiet was all quiet in the running in that. Oh, that's a good question. I'll have to, let me double check on that. Um, it's a British film. That's a very good point. Yeah. All right. Uh, you guys, I mean, yeah, this is tough, um, but I'm going to go Mandy because she just won. Just, just feeling right. it. Jake, where are you going on cinematography? I'm also going to go Elvis um, because, you know, up in, like, like Kevin said, up until this past weekend, I think I would have said all quiet, which still might be yeah. the safe choice to make. But statistically speaking, over the last 10 years, um, the the winner of this past weekend, 66% of the time goes on to win the Academy Award. So I'm going to go with math and just say that that I've got a two out of three shot, though I think, you know, I think you could make a really solid shot for All Quiet. So, so this, this might be a spicy pick. I'm going with math. Call me safe, baby. Give me All Quiet. That might be potential. a potential. That, that is safe. That's the one potential? that I feel like will win but we'll i think see. that is Call good because safe. because all quiet does not fall under the asc um, oh really yeah okay then i'm going to change all quiet then 
We have one change. Gabe. Gabe, why? I had a chance. This is your chance. This is your chance to make points now. No, I think Quiet could win this. Now now it's Kevin's chance to make make up some points. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just gonna say this this could be your chance. If you if if it ends up being Elvis, I'm gonna kick myself. Tonight, I could either finally catch up with All Quiet uh, or watch Murder Mystery Two in preparation for the junket tomorrow. And guess what Sean's going to do? I feel like those are two very different experiences. I watched Um, Murder Mystery 1 today. It's cute. Uh, So I'll I'll add this just because this (laughs) is fun. All Quiet won two awards. I think I'm counting at the BSC. Two, maybe more. They have a lot of awards at the BSC. So it's going to be between those two, I think, for sure. Yeah. All right. I feel like these next two are fairly easy, but let's go through them uh, regardless. This is uh, original screenplay. I'll read you the nominations. Uh, come on, where are you? Oh, here we go. It's under it's under writing, of course. That's where I would put it. Um, the nominees for the original screenplay Oscar are Martin McDonough, The Banshees of Inisherin. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans. Todd Field for Tar. And Ruben Ostland for The Triangle, or just Triangle of Sadness, not the. Uh, I am going Everything Everywhere All at Once, and I don't think it's close. Well, uh, Jake, can I ask what, what, what won the WGA? Everything Everywhere Everything All at Once. Everywhere. For original? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jake, you're joining me. Uh, I am. I do disagree with you about it not being close. I do think there is a lot of love for Banshees. And yeah. There's a lot of love mm. for Martin's screenplay for Banshees. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think it's. An, I I think this is going to be the Daniels night. I think okay. I think the, the night's going to end with you know, and we haven't seen a movie truly dominate or like a person or truly dominate the Oscars. I feel like in a while it's, it's been very spread out these past few years, but I think we're due for one of those pictures of the Daniels, like hugging all of the Oscars that they're going to be holding at the end of the night. Uh, that would make me so happy. Yeah. That would make me so happy. I I really hope Uh, someone brings the, um, hot dog fingers and it's them holding the Oscars, like while wearing the hot dog finger hands with a butt plug also like well. seven Oscars and a butt plug that goes without yeah. saying and, and go listen to our interview with the Daniels where we talk about farting which is awesome I yes. want those rocks uh Kev original screenplay where are you going it's funny it's funny I would have gone Banshees uh but now that I know that they won WGA for original screenplay and as we all know correct me if I'm wrong the Oscars are voted on mm-hmm individual categories writers vote for writers cinematographers vote for cinematographers that everybody votes for the uh the the picture picture. um picture i feel like i have to just again go with math like jake's saying like uh banshees would have been my before you told me that everything won dga or um wga i would have chosen banshees but and i think banshees is a better script personally i think that the script for banshees is better than everything ever all at once but it's all good. I love everything ever all at once. I just think Spice Banshee's is a better take. screenplay. Yeah. All right. Uh, adapted screenplay. We have All Quiet on the Western Front. We have Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery. We have Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. Hmm. Kev, I'll go to you. Um, before I... Who, who won the WGA for this? Sarah Women Pauly. Women Talking. 
Women talking. Sarah Polly then. She won the WGA. Got to go WGA. Sarah Polly, the star of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Yep. Um, That is all three of us are going after that one. So I also feel like that's a movie that a number of Academy members appreciate. Sure. But I don't see it breaking into the other categories. And so I feel like this is this is the one where they will yeah. say we're going to honor it in this category. Right. And it is. It's a terrific script. It's terrific scripts and some really good performances as well, too. I don't know this. Why is Glass Onion adapted? Because it's, it's adapted off of another characters? the original characters. Yeah. So it's, oh, it's, so it's, interesting. it's just a sequel. Yeah, yep. I think a- any sequel would technically be adapted, right? That's so strange. That is weird. I that didn't seems, realize that. That doesn't game. really seem like the spirit of what an adaptation is. I agree is. with you. Glass yeah. Onion should be original, but from a technicality standpoint, it ends up in adapted because it's it's been adapted from original character material built already. Yeah, which is weird because it's just one continuing character. And it's the Wait, same so, writer. <laughs> so, so is weird. Avatar Way of Water adapted? Yes. It sounds like it. Yes. But it didn't huh. even get a nomination. No, As I know, but that would be every adapted. Marvel movie until the end of time. Oh, sure. well, that hold on. This makes sense then, because wait, that, yeah, that, that's why Top Gun is adapted. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, correct. What's unfortunate is that no matter which category you put uh, Glass Onion in, it was going to lose, even though yeah. I think it's a brilliant screenplay. But right. they are the two. Not as good as the first. Seem but to still be great. Great. I mean, it's still great. Yeah. It's still great. Interesting. Uh, animation. We have some great, uh, great, great nominees in this category, starting with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Please go to the episode where we interview Guillermo. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Terrific film in my top 10. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Which is incredibly popular, by the way, if you pay attention to social media. It was a great movie. That film has crazy supporters. People love that Uh, movie. The Sea Beast, which I'd never even heard of, and a film called Turning Red. I am going to go with Del Toro's Pinocchio, which I think is a masterpiece. Um, but I'm really worried about <laughs> Puss in Boots. I'm legitimately yeah. worried about Puss in Boots. Uh, Jake, where are you going? Uh, I think it's easily Pinocchio, and which makes me, I mean, I, you know, I keep thinking about how the fact that, that Pinocchio is going to win, but I also, I, I also kind of keep forgetting that, like, Guillermo del Toro is about to get another Oscar, and that makes me <gasps> really happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well deserved, too. Yeah. Yeah. And Puss in Boots is the one that does creep up and make me worry about my Pinocchio pick as well. But it's funny as I'm on the I'm on the Oscars Oscars.org website and I'm just like I'm reading along the nominations as you're reading them. It's just uh, I like their font. It's like whatever this yellow brown font they're using. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Pinocchio. I'm going to go with Pinocchio. See, I think Puss in Boots is is popular amongst mainstream crowds, but I don't know if the Academy members are like the some yeah. might also, be into I, it, but I don't think I, you can. You know, I, I for some reason, unless it's like a Toy Story movie, I really don't see the Academy voting for a sequel to a spinoff. I was going to say, would a would a the Academy vote oh. for a sequel over an original Pixar? Yeah, even. yeah but it, but or yet another adaptation of Pinocchio. Although yeah. I think it's fantastic and takes yeah. a different right. spin on it. It's like. Pinocchio again. And listen, as Sean um, said, listen to our interview with Del Toro. It's really fun. He's terrific. We covered terrific. a lot of ground in that one. He still loves Pacific Rim a lot. Hell yeah. <laughs> a lot. A lot. That, he loves the boats. It. The boat slap deserved an Oscar. I'll tell you that right now. All right. Actress in a supporting role. You get a little spicy. All we right. Have Angela Bassett 
nominated for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We have Hong Chow, nominated for The Whale and not The Menu. So remember, she's nominated for The Whale. Carrie Condon, nominated for The Banshees of Inisherin. Jamie Lee Curtis receiving her very first Oscar nomination for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Stephanie Hsu also receiving a nomination for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Kevin, where are you going? This is a tough one. So this is where this is where it starts getting um, interesting because these are the categories uh-huh. that that will determine a winner. I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna think logically here, Jamie Lee Curtis just won the SAG, which is the acting body that True. votes on the same award for the Oscars. Um, but then you can make an argument that they gave it to Jamie Lee Curtis there, so they could give it to Angela Bassett at the Oscars. I mean, this right now. You know, Angela Bassett, to me, has always been the deserving of the five and no question, just because after the minute I saw that scene, have I not given everything and hearing the, the, the thought process that went into that before the delivery of that of that monologue? Um, it's just so powerful and, and, and in my opinion, elevates the film in, in such an interesting way. Um but with Jamie Lee winning the SAG award for it, it really does create a, a bit of a riff here. Um, I'm going to go with Angela Bassett because that's what my gut's been telling me since the day I saw Black Panther Wakanda forever. Um, I remember sitting next to Sean and watching that monologue and even the UN scene in the beginning. Uh, she's just a, a powerhouse a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, it's interesting because both Bassett and Curtis have never won an Oscar. I'm right about that, right? Neither of them have won an Oscar, Uh, um, which is another interesting part of this situation, because, you know, if one had already won, you could make the argument that somebody would give the other person the Oscar because they don't have one already. Um, Yeah, Angela Bassett is the I'm just gonna go with my gut. I mean, even though the math theoretically from Jamie's win at the SAG Awards would tell me I'm wrong, but Bassett for sure, in my opinion. Jakey. I'm going with Carrie Condon. And uh, do we have time to get into my reasoning behind that? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, she won the BAFTA. So, yeah. yeah, she won the BAFTA. I, yeah. I, when it comes to Angela Bassett, my concern is I feel like she's cooled down a lot over these past few weeks. Um, I feel like the the narrative of her career Oscar has significantly cooled down. And the awards that she won at the beginning of this award season that maybe looked like we were heading in the, that direction with her weren't any awards that had any crossover in voters. None of the awards that she won have any crossover for people who vote for the Oscars. Now, so then that leaves Carrie Condon, who won the BAFTA. You mean like which, Golden Globe and Yeah, Golden Globes and Critics' Choice, correct. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And so that leaves Carrie Condon, who won BAFTA, and Jamie Lee Curtis, who won SAG. I BAFTA tends to get a little bit more of the edge over predictions over SAG. And also you have to worry about um, Stephanie Hsu potentially stealing some votes from Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't think it's going to be as much of a split, but I think Stephanie Hsu also being nominated hurts Jamie Lee Curtis a little bit. So I think the math leaves Carrie Condon as a, as a potentially safe choice. What are people predicting for that, for that category? I I think people are predicting Angela Bassett or Jamie Lee Curtis. I think this Mm. is my, this is my spicy pick. Mm. Yeah. I've seen people predict Stephanie Hsu. The only person I've seen not be predicted is Hong Chow. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 I've seen people say Stephanie Hsu is going to come out of nowhere and win, which and I don't Carrie think is Condon, Carrie Condon, the, the scene with Barry Kilgan when he tells which her. Which has been much, going viral. 
Like that's the scene yeah. I could see her winning for that. And I mean, all it's, over it's LA, funny. they they must have noticed that that clip was going viral because all over LA, that's the image that they're using in the four year consideration ad billboards. Yeah. It's a brilliant scene. Well, I am also throwing Carrie Condon into my category. Oh, nice. I thought I, I thought that was I thought that was going to be the spicy one there. I listen. I knew I knew that was a spicy pick, but only because there are a couple of analysts that I've listened to on Twitter who are pretty much in the know. And the last couple of days, they've been saying Carrie Condon, Carrie Condon. And one of the reasons why I also think as well, too, is because it's starting to look pretty clear that the other actors in the cast are not going to get mm-hmm. wins. And I think the voters will want Banshees to get something. Mm-hmm. So I think they may. I think you may see some groundswell of support saying this is our chance to reward that movie mm-hmm. and the ensemble. But it's, it's is, this the, is, this to, the first, is this the first award of the night? Well, they, they, I don't think they've I, I oh, usually I feel like the first award of the night is one of the supporting, but I feel like the supporting that they Actor. most know is going to win. So I, I bet first award of the night is going to go to Akiha Kwan. Yeah. Kwan. You bring yes, up an interesting point. Should the Oscars add an ensemble category? I mean, I, can I argue no? Because I feel I'm like a, I'm asking you. I, I say no, point. because then like, how does that like then like what everyone gets an Oscar? And then I feel like the value of the Oscar is diminished. We'll give it to the casting director or cast. Yeah, Ca- no casting cast casting. I do yeah. think there should be because there's a casting uh, category at the BAFTAs. Um, but I don't think there should be like a cast ensemble because at yeah. that point, if well, they chose maybe- Banshees, then all of a sudden Colin Farrell, Brandon, like then all of a sudden yeah, yeah, they yeah, all yeah. become Oscar winners all at one time. And it feels a little like interesting. Yeah. I think there's a way you could make it a best pictureification of the acting talent. Because it just feels like we have this argument a lot. Well, then I would year. say then put in ca- then then add a casting category. I like that. I like that as like the, the category well, what you call yeah. it. But I it, but essentially what you're saying is this entire cast is great and we can only sure. give one of them an award. But all of them. I don't want to see this before I see stunts. Sure. I mean, why do you so hate yeah. Tom Cruise? Look, just have them add them both. Who cares? What is this? I love Tom Cruise. That's why I want him to get a category. I think this category is long overdue. I think next year Donnie Yen should be getting it. Which oh, he gets his award. Oh, no, get, no, Donnie Yen deserves an acting Oscar for his work in John Wick Four. It is. I understand what you're saying. A brilliant performance. <laughs> we'll, talk, like, we'll talk John Wick Four yeah. later this month. Would you be upset if they added a stunt Oscar? Tom Cruise won it, and then he never got an acting Oscar after that. What if they added a stunt and Cruise never won it before he <laughs> oh, stopped making? He like stops doing <laughs> his own stunts right when they introduce <laughs> it. <laughs> hey, Cruise enjoyed a long line of brilliant people who never won Oscars, so that yeah, I, I, be totally fine. Very fair. Yeah. Uh, supporting actor, does anybody not have Kihoi Kwan? No. No. All right, chalking it. Across the board. Uh, lead actress. Let me re- read the nominees. Hold on. Mm-mm. Which added well-deserved Kihoi Kwan. Yeah, yes. Kiwa, yes. Uh, and then do just for two seconds. Like his performance is incredible. I and mean, yeah. if you listen to our interview with the Daniels, um, they shot that that fanny pack fight scene in one day, one and a half days. And like I was just looking back on some of the clips of him. You know, it's interesting when you're when you watch a film before it gets Oscar buzz. There's a different feeling you have, and then when you watch it after all the Oscar buzz is happening, you think to yourself, "Oh, this is the Oscar performance." But I remember watching that performance before any talk about that and talking to him before any talk about that. Um, and it always it always felt special. And I'm just very excited for him. And I think he it's going to be a great speech. So I think one of the greatest lines in any movie last year was in another world. I would have loved to do laundry and taxes with you. Right. Oh, it's the most, oh, my God. I love yeah. that line so much. And also, like, incredible. 
one thing I will say about him, when I interviewed him early on, like when the film first came out and the way he spoke in my interview before any type of Oscar nomination buzz or any Oscar information is the way he's still talking now. So Mm. it's it just reminds me of how genuine he's being in all of these speeches. Like like it is this is how he's felt since the beginning of this press tour of this movie before anything happened with the Oscars. All right. Actress in a leading role. Kate Blanchett for Tar, Ana de Armas for Blonde, the controversial Andrea Riseborough getting in for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Kev, how are you feeling? Well, Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, she won the SAG Award. I know she won the Globe in the musical comedy category, and I know that Kate Blanchett won the drama. Uh, she also won the Critics' Choice. Um, but I'm going to use the SAG angle here. And I just feel like there's a just feels like people really want her to win and she deserves it. It's it's honestly one of the most incredible performances I've seen. Um, if you think about the weight of it and how many different versions of herself she was playing and just the the insanity of that film in terms of like what it does with your with your mind and kind of how she kind of had to keep it together, but also understand that the filmmakers were going to keep it together at the same time. Um, so I got to go to Michelle Yeoh. No, quite. I mean, uh, listen, it's her versus Kate Blanchett. Those are the, those are the those are the two sure. that and, you know, and Kate Blanchett what has already has two or three Oscars. I can't remember uh, how many she has. Jake, she uh, two. How many she Oscars? Has Kate? She has she two. two for uh, Blue, Blue Jasmine, Jasmine and the Aviator. And the Aviator. Okay, so she has one lead and one supporting. Correct. Okay, um, Michelle Yeoh is gonna is my choice, but you know, could be either. I am also the, I'm also going Michelle Yeoh. And I also feel like you, that it's between her and Kate Planchette. I also feel like there's only so many times that we can recognize how amazing Kate Planchette Planchette is. Michelle Yeoh might not get as many bites as the apple as Kate Planchette will probably continue to get. And I mean, she deserves as many shots as Kate Planchette gets. I just am not quite sure she's going to get a project like this with the momentum behind it uh, that will carry her to an Oscar win. And I want to live in a world where Michelle Yeoh as a Best Actress Oscar. Jake. Uh, I'm also going Michelle Yeoh. I think that SAG win was so great because I think it showed people how good it felt to see her up on stage holding a trophy. Um, Up Mm -hmm. until that point, we really hadn't seen it. And then once we did see it, I think everyone collectively went, Oh God, we got, we got, that can't be the only time we see that. So I really do think not just because the, the voting body carries over, but just the image of, we, we, we have to give her this moment like she deserves this moment. The, the, the performance deserves that moment. But like, my God, like she, we we have to see her on stage holding an Oscar. We just must. OK, then this is going to get really interesting, yep. because if you're talking about effective acceptance speeches, mm. we're going into best actor in a leading role. You have Austin Butler. For Elvis, you have Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin. You have Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Meskel for After Sun, and Bill Nye for Living. I am going Austin Butler. But I understand along the lines of what Jake is saying that a lot of people, myself included, would like to see Brendan Fraser up there uh, getting a win based on some of the great speeches that he's given over the course of this run. I said when I saw it, if I said when I saw it, if Brendan Fraser doesn't win an Oscar in this category, then the entire system is broken because uh, I think it was one of the single best performances I saw in any film last year. 
However, it feels like momentum has shifted to Austin Butler and uh, and Elvis. And, and so at this stage, I'm willing to bet that Butler wins it for Elvis. Kev. Yeah, this is hard. Um, uh, I mean, right now, I, I mean, I have those two clearly. Um, you could you could make an argument that the votes could split and Colin Farrell could win. People loved Colin Farrell's speech at the Globes. Very possible. That's the one where Very he possible. thanked or he turned around and, and told Ana de Armas how great her performance was in Blonde. Was that the same speech I'm thinking about? I could be th- I could be wrong. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, oh, wait, right who now, won SAG? Did 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 uh, Austin Brent, won Brent, SAG? Brendan Fraser won SAG. Mm-hmm. Brendan won SAG. Interesting. And okay. then I'm did still, Butler I'm win the with BAFTA? Austin. Butler won the BAFTA and Butler won the Globe. I do think momentum is feels like it does feel like Austin Butler, but I'm going to go with Brendan Fraser. I think the story, the comeback, the uh, the performance is, in my opinion, it is a better performance. Just in in from if I'm actually breaking them down and choosing one, I think Brendan Fraser's performance is better. Um, Butler is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. Um, but with Brennan winning the, the SAG award and this idea of his, his story is just really amazing. Um, and I don't know how much that factors into the voting process, but um, I'm going to go Brendan Fraser, even though I, you know, part of me wants to go with Austin Butler. That is part of my gut feeling. Um, but Brendan Fraser for now. Jake, I'm going Austin Butler. Um, unfortunately, I feel like, the concept of the narrative, even though we talk about it, we literally just talked about it for Michelle Yeoh. I don't think it's as strong as we think it is. It didn't work for Mickey Rourke. It unfortunately didn't work for um, Chadwick Boseman. Um, and, and this is so much. This is just such a coin flip um, between Fraser and, and Butler. But in my eyes, when it comes down to a coin flip, you always give the edge to the movie with the Best Picture nomination. And the whale was not nominated for Best Picture, and Elvis was. So I'm going Austin Butler. What what is being predicted for that category? It's it it's it seems like it's a coin flip with I think Variety was a Variety that came out and said that they think Colin Farrell is going to pull off the biggest upset since Adrian Brody. Wow, I mean, I'm telling you, Farrell could have that split vote. That's what I was trying to say. Like, I feel like, yeah, I mean, listen, it's they're they're gonna they're gonna push that one. To, I wouldn't be surprised if they handed out director before. They hand out actor. Yeah. Well, that backfired on them. The last yeah. Time they tried to do that. So maybe they want to rethink that. Uh, let's get to directing then. The Banshees of Minas and Martin McDonough. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Daniels. Steven Spielberg. The Fablemans. Todd Field for Tar. And Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. Uh, I am going with the Daniels. I feel like they won DGA. I feel like this is going to be... They are going to do the one-two punch of director and picture. And I don't see any of the other nominees being strong enough to defeat them. Jake, where are you? Daniel's all the way. I think it's, I think the rest of this conversation is, uh, you know, locked for, for us. Okay. I think, and, and I'm very happy to, to see them up there. Kev, you want to make a left turn anywhere? Daniel's. Okay. All right, let's bring it a picture. Uh, here are your nominees officially. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar the Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. 
I guess we all think everything everywhere all at once is going to win. That's we it. do Ch- chalk it up. There you go. There's our official run Woo! through all of the categories. Uh, let's let's catch our breath and throw it to a quick break and we will see you guys on the other side. And we are back. OK, so two major movies that are hitting theaters this week uh, and we've discussed each of them uh, leading into the end of this episode. Uh, primarily because of interviews that we have on the show. And the first one is 65, which, as we mentioned, is directed by Beckon Woods. Uh, plug the Wednesday interview. Like, I, you guys make sure you go check that out. Those guys are really informative. Uh, it's spoiler free, uh, but I think you'll appreciate the interview a little bit more if you go check out 65 beforehand and then go back and listen to their process to figure out how they got certain things. Um, Gabe and I were talking about this when I was recording the intro for 65. And I think we nail, I think I nailed exactly how I feel about it, which is if you have a movie where um, uh, an astronaut crashes his ship on our planet and learns over the course of it, that it's the prehistoric era and the dinosaurs are on the planet. uh, Your casting determines your tone. And what I was saying to Gabe is that, if you put Ryan Reynolds in this movie, it's uh, it's a lot more comedic. It's a little it's a lot more, you know, him getting chased around by dinosaurs and it's quippy and it probably moves a little bit more. But when you cast Adam Driver, you get a more serious approach to it. You get a more tortured lead. Um, he has a young girl who has also survived the crash who he has to take care of. He is willing to sacrifice almost anything to get her to this uh, ship that's going to get him off the planet. Um, and so I hear so many people going into this premise and they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I just want to caution that it's not quite fun. <laughs> it's it's I still liked it a lot. I thought it was really enjoyable for what it was. But I, I do want to caution people that it's not a cheesy romp, you know, of Space Guy lands and all of a sudden it's dinosaurs. It's very much a um, harrowing and physically tough uh, shoot for these actors and uh, and I thought it was really really compelling so I highly recommend it but I just want everybody to know what they're getting into when they when they go Jake where are you at with it yeah I mean I, I definitely enjoyed it had a good time with it appreciated the, the quick tight 90 minute runtime um, you're, you're absolutely right it's not quite you know the the cinematic version of Turok if you know the, the video game from back in the day um, but imagine Turok meets the last of us uh, mm. if you could sort of blend those two together I, I thought it was perfectly I, I, again, I, I've been using the word fun because it's Adam Driver with a gun and dinosaurs. So there is definitely a fun element to it. But there's also also some very heavy themes and plot points sprinkled in throughout that almost announce to the audience like, look, like, yes, we know what kind of movie we are, but we dare to be a little bit better than that. Um, and mm-hmm. I applaud them for that. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's it, it, I, I walked out going, oh, that was fun. That was good. I, I'm in sold. Kev, 65? Fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, again, it was just, I didn't love it. I thought it was, I thought it was decent. It felt like, the way I explained it was, it felt like an N64 game that I would have picked up for two or three days and then not played again. Um, it would have been fun to play. I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that it emotionally would have connected with me. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought Driver was great, but then, you know, and then again, I don't I saw it. And I, not that I forgot about it, but it just hasn't stuck with me. So as much as I think, you know, seeing a film like this in the theaters would be beneficial. I, I also, you know, don't know if it's worth paying full ticket price for, but it's fun. Yeah, it, it's Before I enjoyed we move off of it, aspects of it. I want to quick go around the horn. Uh, what do you think it makes this weekend? 
have 15 million maybe 15, less knowing that knowing that creed is still going strong and scream is opening probably let by probably 12 or less okay jake yeah i think it's gonna get buried uh unfortunately i feel like not enough people know that it's even coming out uh, it seems like yeah we're, we're still riding the wave that is creed 3 and then you've got scream 6 opening this weekend unfortunately i just feel like this is just one of those movies that's going to get lost in the shuffle I, I also feel like it's going to be one of those movies you ever look on netflix and you look at the top 10 and the number one movie is like a random ass movie that came out 15 years ago that people mm-hmm. are just now discovering um like like just recently i saw that um sean levy's this is where i leave you was the number one movie on Netflix, a movie that mm-hmm. did. And even mm-hmm. he tweeted something out like took 15 years, but you guys are finally watching this movie. 65 yeah. kind of feels like one of those movies that in 15 years is going to be the number one movie on Netflix because people are going to be just now discovering it. Right, right. Once again, I asked you for a number and you <laughs> didn't give it to me. Didn't give it to me at all. For the guy so who kept, about, a, the guy who kept doing about, math during the Oscars all, predictions. All I know is like I didn't get a rap from Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, I, that Gabe, Gabe, Gabe's face is what I stare at whenever I this go on my our, rants. I like this new bit. This is a good bit. I ask you for a number. You give me a long diatribe. <laughs> so number. I'm sorry. What's the question? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm gonna go. <laughs> ten. I'm gonna go s- ten. I'm gonna go seven to nine. I'm gonna put it to seven to nine. I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, you, you know, ironically, I think, I, I think the audience that would go see it is gonna go to Scream. I'm excited yeah. to see it. But I also have already mm. seen Scream, so maybe I don't quite don't qualify for that audience that you're. Gotcha. But I'm excited for All this right. movie. Um, let's shift over to Scream Six, and we will keep this spoiler free. So if you're listening to this and you haven't yet gone to go see it, and believe me, as we know with the Scream films, there's a lot of twists and turns and spoilers, and the people who haven't watched it yet don't want to know anything going into it. Um, I'll go first because I think I liked it the most out of the three of us. Um. But I will admit that it's nowhere near as um, vital as the most recent Scream, the the one that kind of reintroduced the franchise, uh, reconnected it to Woodsboro. Honored Wes Craven, you know, by making a film that that fit really well into the franchise. To me, it felt a little bit like Radio Silence trying to make the franchise their own, which I guess they have the right to do that now if they're going to be taking it forward. And I do feel like they're going to continue to make a couple of these that they're not quite beholden to what would Wes Craven have done or or how should the franchise be going forward? Because this film does take a couple of swings that I didn't anticipate. Um Kevin's going to get to a point later on where he's going to talk about stakes and he's right. Uh, there, there are certain aspects where I think they could have gone pretty far. Uh, maybe they don't, but I did leave this film really liking. This is where, this is where I think it separates itself from, from scream of last year. I care a lot more about the core four ca- uh, characters uh, than I did coming out of the other one, coming out of the other one. It was still very much about, Hey, we lost Dewey. Um, where, where is Sydney? Where is Gail? Uh, that was still very much their franchise. I now feel like the Scream franchise belongs to, uh, the characters played by Jenna Ortega, played by, uh, Melissa Barrera, um, Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding. Gooding. Is that his name? Yeah. Gooding. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Kubasan. and I want, and, and I want to see, is that really Kubasan Gooding Jr.'s son? No kidding. I didn't even know that yeah. at all. But now it looks exactly like him. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, I'm very much invested in that. I thought Ghostface in this movie was brutal, uh, more brutal than 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 I thought he was in five. I think the guys might disagree with that. Uh, and. 
Yeah, it, I, I thought it was good. I liked it. I, you know, it, it, I, having seen it, I'm not quite sure that that they should have put it out as quickly as they did after five. Um, it does feel like they rushed it into theaters because of the popularity of five. And maybe if they had a little bit more time to sort of workshop the script and 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 cook it, and make it a little bit more interesting. Um, not interesting, but like. Well, you'll you'll hear about it when the other boys talk about it, because I do agree with some of the things that they're going to say. But overall, I, I did like it and I would highly recommend it if you are a Scream fan. I think they have some great ghost face scenes. Um, and again, like I said, I'm into the core four. I really like them as characters. Um, Jake, you are a Scream dude. Yeah. And uh, and you kind of came out of it feeling fine. But. Yeah. And it's it's trending worse. Unfortunately, I'm a massive Scream fan. It's one of my favorite franchises. I love the horror genre. I've got a signed Screamed poster on my wall. Um this is near the bottom of uh, my scream ranking um, this and four there. I mean, one of the things I love about this franchise is that that unlike uh, a nightmare or a Halloween or, or a Friday, it all feels interconnected. It feels like one big giant story. They don't feel like these individual sort of generic different ones. Uh, this one starts to feel like, OK, maybe we're just going to maybe we're maybe we're too long in the tooth and we're starting. We're going to start getting generic scream movies now. Um, uh, I have a lot of issues with it. Uh, I, I uh, the killer it's reveal hard. and motive. Yes, it is. The killer yeah. reveal and motive, I think, is the weakest and the lamest. Um, I think when moving forward, when you see killer rankings, these are my favorite killers from from top to bottom. Um, mm. The Scream 6 reveal is going to be at the very bottom for a lot of people, I think. Um, I don't for, for a movie that is capitalizing so much on the city of New York. I don't feel like they utilized it enough. It felt like it could have just been in any major. It could have been in a, in a fake city outside of Woods, Woodsboro and you never would have noticed. Um, it did not capitalize on New York the way that I, I really wanted to. My God, even Jason walked through Times Square in a movie that, that he was on a boat for an hour and a half. So like even even that gave us like a a definitive New York moment. Um, I, I walked out of five with such a surge and hope for the direction that this series was going to go. And I walking out of six, I'm good. If we take a couple of years off, which I doubt we're going to, we're probably going to get seven next year. I don't particularly care about the new characters. I felt the absence of Sydney was oh, felt. Um, and this is, this is a movie that the more I think about, look, there, there, there are some truly creative moments where I, I pointed to the screen and went like, Okay, awesome. Well done. Like you thought you knew what I was going to think and therefore you did the opposite. There's one shot in particular that is probably one of my favorite shots in the entire Scream franchise. Um, But aside from a couple of moments of um, expectation subverting brilliance, for the most part, I found the film to be a uh, a fairly massive disappointment. I want to I want to I want to add because I don't I don't really disagree with a lot of what you're saying there. And I do agree about the. The sort of reveal and such is where it ranks. I, to your point about some awesome moments, do you agree that as far as a scream movie needs to have a really great opening mm-hmm. that catches you? You, I, I loved this opening. I won't go any more detail than that. Did, sure. did it work for you in that sense, I, or were I, you I, just I, like it's just okay? Here, here's here's my problem is I think because. To find we a keep opening ex- in the screen yes. franchise, I think, is is really cool. But I think the problem was is that like I went into the opening thinking they're gonna have to do something weird because they know that we're I mean, I remember just being in awe, and Gabe cut this if you need to, in awe that the opening kill for five survived. Like when when I saw mm-hmm. Jenna Ortega in the opening of five, I thought, well, she's done. And when she survived, I remember pausing and going, wait, can we do that? Like, can we, can they, can, can the opening kill survive? 
Uh, so this didn't quite have that. And I think my problem was because they've already shown that they can break the rules in an opening. I went into this opening thinking, Interesting. how are you going to break the rules? And, and, and when it happened, I sort of went like, OK, that's 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 how you did it. So it didn't it didn't get me the way five did. I mean, unfortunately, this film, I think, is a is a victim of the previous film's success because you've shown me that you're willing to break the mold. You can't put it back together and break it again and, sh- and, and expect me to be surprised. You guys are harsh. Kev, where'd you fall? Yeah, on? I mean, for the, the fifth screen was my was my favorite since the original. Um, I thought that film like I, I felt the same way in Scream 5 that I did in 1996, I think was the year the first one came out, sitting in that theater and watching that Scream for the first time. I had never seen a horror film do something like that. And so for Scream 5, then to honor Wes Craven and kind of repeat that feeling for me, it was a big deal. Um, So going into six, you know, I had high expectations. These filmmakers did a phenomenal job. They understand the material really well. Um, One of the things that five did was it stretched the meta concept of Scream into modern times, right? So it was like, how do you play with modern technology and deal with modern things that could be interesting? I know we saw that in Scream 4 a bit, but Scream 5 did it to me in a in a very brilliant way. Um, I know it's called Scream. I'm just referring to it as 5 because it's, it's just easier to say it that way. That's um, that's, yeah, best way to go. I Otherwise, it's thing. confusing. <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, but in all honesty, like that was that's why I loved 5 so much. 6... While I love the opening, the opening of five is way better. Um, But I thought the opening of six was interesting. They do play around with the ways of that you've never seen before in an opening. And I did. I actually really did like the opening of six. I thought it was probably my favorite scene in the whole film. Um, That being said, when they start getting into monologues about the meta aspect of these franchises and kind of what they dealt with in the first one with the requel thing, I bought into it here. It starts to feel like a parody it feels like it's almost like a scary movie version of Scream. And I'm not saying it's not I'm not saying it's on that level of scary movie where like it's 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 like just incredibly funny over the top. It just felt like it was parodying itself in a way where it took it too far, where I was I, I felt like it was commenting too much on itself rather than being important for the narrative. Um, it just the monologue didn't feel it didn't feel as special as it did in the original uh, in the fifth one. Um, also, the stakes to me are really a big problem here. Um, I can't tell you why until we get into a spoiler discussion about this movie. Uh, but there are scenes where characters, things happen to characters that, and you would assume one way or the other something happened to that person. And it just felt cheap that things didn't turn out the way they did based on the material we watched on screen. Um it just there were I feel like these films need stakes um, and the fifth one really did have stakes. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the fifth one, turn this off. But David Arquette's death was brilliant. Um, it was a perfect, perfect legacy death. Um, they did a great job killing that character off and, and in a way that honored the franchise. It was sad, but also just brilliantly took care of business in that sense. It kind of showed also one of the things about the fifth film versus the sixth film the kills in the fifth one, and I feel weird saying the kills are better, but the kills in the fifth one felt scarier. They felt more brutal. They felt more insane. Felt meaner. I, I, they felt meaner. I was like shocked. This one, I, I I think I counted it. There were like three kills in the first hour and none of them shocked me. Um, like it none of them like look at the interesting places where we can put the knife. 
Right. And and also the other part about it with the New York setting, you know, they didn't shoot this in New York. And that's the thing I was most excited about was Manhattan, um, because I, I, you know, growing up weirdly, I liked Jason Takes Manhattan. It was it was just a movie I saw at a pivotal point in my life. It just I remember liking it, even though I know he's on a boat for the majority of the time. I just wanted more. I forgot the movie was in New York for the whole film. I mean, there were moments where they show skylines and I get the bodega scene is, 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 you know, but that could be in any bodega in any city that someone would have a gun, a shotgun. Um, And so nothing in that film, even the subway sequence, which is in the trailer, um, didn't scream New York to me whatsoever. That was a great Um, sequence, though. Great scene, and one of the things the we way talk they about constructed it, that, and I won't get into details, just because it is right. the way that the way they get into that scene, editing, something happens. Yeah. But the way that they put themselves in that scene, so that the situation was a little more tense, hundred percent, and then they built on that. I thought was re- really brilliant. And, and that's the one of the things I talked about in the interview with them on our, our, for our real but if, if you made this far, you probably already heard it, which is about the blocking and the cameras and the lenses and the editing leading up to. Uh, 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 either a kill or or some type of like murderous or violent sequence and the brilliance of the subway scene which is in the trailers is not a spoiler is the way it's cut together the way people are blocking the way that people are in the frame what you're seeing what you're not seeing it's very very well done and at the end of the day like I know I've said a lot of maybe negative things about the film that didn't work for me but I still had fun with it. <laughs> I mean, it still entertained me. I, I was still mm-hmm. I was still interested in it. Um, do I care about the core four as much as I cared about the leading legacy characters in the original? No, I don't. Um, but I do love Jenna Ortega. I love Melissa Barrera. She thinks she's phen- phenomenal in the film. Um, but again, there is just the stakes to me as a problem. The fifth one felt like it had actual legit stakes that I was worried about. This one, I just kind of was like, at the end of it, I was just like, what? OK, so I don't know. So we'll keep it. We'll keep it at that for now. I would recommend if you are a Scream fan. I mean, well, give me a star rating for this. Oh, uh, where are you guys at? Three and a half. Out of five. Out of five. Three and a half out of five. I, I want to say three, but that feels generous. Three feels generous for me, too, but that's, You're nuts. I'm, I'm probably a three. That. Three, I think three is solid. It's weird because yeah, like I, I, I want to give it, see. I want to give it two and a half, but that equates to a five out of ten, and I don't feel like it's worthy right. of a five out of ten. But it's a three out two of five. and a half feels right to there's, me. There's there's really strong sequences in this. Oh, you are dude, right. maybe they sequence. didn't reach your guys' expectations. Maybe your your expectations but, were heightened five, going into it, but you're overlooking the fact that that there's some strong sequences in this. I, yeah, but I, five I think you're overlooking so, the fact that there are a yeah. lot of very lagging moments. There are. And five was felt, so five was so great. But I can't compare it to five. I want it just to be I'm judging it on its well, own. You have movie. to. You, you can't not compare it to five. It's a continuation of the characters and the storyline. But I'm st- I'm but I'm judging this on its own movie. Right, I know, but but you're but we're also that that's like saying why am I going to go see when you see Dr. Sleep? Are you not comparing it to The Shining? Of course you are. You're going to be thinking about the legacy of that. I'm, 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 I'm not, not really. saying Dr. Sleep doesn't. Well, yeah, of course you are. Dude, the ultimate question, you're that, that thing that you walked out of Dr. Sleep, at least for me, was how did it compare to what The Shining did? And like kind of how did Dr. How did Mike Flanagan continue that legacy? And I thought he made a film that was on the same level as The Shining. And that's kind of what we all talked about was The Shining. I absolutely compared it. Movie. I compared it to the book. Before I compared it to Kubrick's Shining, because I think Kubrick's Shining is its own thing. Yeah, but you're still coming off of your. You, there's no way to watch Doctor Sleep and not think of The Shining. There's like there's no way to watch Scream Six and not think of Scream Five. It's just not possible. 
It's not possible at all because Arquette's death from five lingers on into six. Gail Weathers' character lingers on into six. I still, I still think the, the trauma of five. Dude, part, six doesn't exist without five. I don't think that's Sean's that's point. Sean's, any Sean's point is talking about the movie in and of itself. Uh, uh, those are two. Yeah. But, it does, but I, think, I don't think it's possible to look at Scream 6 on its own. It's not. It's just not. It, 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 from it requires plot, perspective. From a plot perspective, I no. You need you, the plot. It requires five. It requires to all work. of them as far as the plot is concerned. But he's talking about his his opinion on the quality of the film itself. Those are right. Two different things. But but he's arguing that 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 I could that you can't that you can look at six without thinking about five. And he's saying he, he does though. I, I don't think that's possible. I, I do. But he's saying he does. That's no, one I'm, point. I, and I'm arguing. I don't. Think, I don't think it's possible. But that's because fine. there's no can, way we, that we six, can disagree on that. That's fine. But that's, that's fine. OK. We, it's OK for us to have a disagreement on that. It's totally. <laughs> you fine. can say it's not possible. And I'm, I can tell you that I'm actually doing it. So, <laughs> OK, that makes it possible. <laughs> uh, OK, but I would argue you're wrong, but it's uh, but that's OK. Fair enough. I don't right. think it's so possible as you guys to can not, tell. Yeah. As you guys can tell, we had a very uh, lengthy Oscar conversation. And then, of course, our scream conversation uh, bled over. So we are going to scrap the blend game this week. Uh, we really, really wanted to give you guys, you know, more time, dedicate more time to those topics. So thank you, everybody who sent in your favorite scream moments. Uh, and we want you guys to play along next week when we dive into hashtag Helen Mirren blend. Ooh. Good luck, my friends. Uh, choosing Ooh. Helen Mirren. Oh. And I will tell you a very fun story about why uh, she is top of mind for me lately. Uh, I'll, I'll save that till next week. Helen Caligula has been, has been very <laughs> not because of Caligula, oh, uh, but, but I've been watching a, a specific Helen Mirren movie for a very long time. Oh, uh, the past past week. I know what it, and a half I know what it is. You can guess. You can guess off air if you'd want to. Is it is it the color of the uh, is it the color of oh, the, bl- the balloon, yeah, yeah, the, bl- right, the balloon yeah. from it? The color of the from it. Yes, I yes, I'm immersed in red currently at this point. So uh that's not Makes my pick. Sense. Uh go to Helen uh hashtag Helen Mirren blend on social media or email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. This is the point where we would read a review. If any of you guys wanted to read us a review, instead we will go to our next premium episode, which drops on Monday. Uh, check the description below for more information on how to sign up for that. And in the meantime, follow us on social media. This is the point where I read our social media handles, starting with at Jake's takes. At Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. We'll talk to you guys next week when hopefully we will have some more uh, spoiler filled stream talk uh, and then Shazam opens. So that'll be kind of fun too. Talk to you guys next week. What a week. Pop Oppenheimer. Barbie. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.